And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. this bug is over on odyssey but it's a little bit annoying welcome everybody we are live from the bunker my name is jason hunt i am the editor here at sci-fi for me.com and happy to have all of you with us if you are on odyssey there's some kind of a bug they're aware of it but it looks like the audio is not going out over on on odyssey so you can see us you get pretty pictures, but uh, they're they're working on it on the back end. I they they know that there's a problem. They're just not sure exactly what's causing it yet. Welcome everybody. We are live, uh, broadcasting to Odyssey and YouTube and Facebook, and the chat is open. If you're here with us uh, in replay, you can still leave a comment. The email address is uh, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. This show is also available in podcast form on a number of player platforms, if that's your preferred method of consumption of the content. Ah, hate that word. Anyway, uh, so there's all of that. And uh, you can always uh, drop us a line and suggest topics or guests, and uh, we will we will act accordingly. Ah. Uh, Looks like we got listeners uh, coming in in Brazil, India, France, Poland, Germany, UK. Good to see all of you in there. And we do also want to remind you that I've started Sci-Fi for Me TV.2 over here on YouTube. This is going to be the test bed for recorded only material. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. I we have I haven't loaded anything up on it yet, but uh, go go check that one out and and we'll see what happens. So, anyway. Uh, breaking news today, Alan Horn from Disney uh, has gone to Warner Brothers. So, we're going to be taking a look at that. I, I I'm sure it's going to be the subject of a number of online conversations. Uh, everywhere over the weekend, so we'll see what happens. All right, so all of that out of the way. Uh, we do have Good Morning Multiverse coming up on Saturday. We've got uh, some other stuff in the works, but right now we're going to set all of that aside, and we're going to talk to our guest. He is the author of a brand new book. It is his debut novel. It is called Body and Blood, and uh, he joins us now. Michael Gallagher is with us. Good, uh, good afternoon, sir. How you doing, now, Jason? Good I'm to good. be here. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad you were able to take the time to do it. I see uh, I see Dave in the chat. Good uh, good to see you there. So um, I've started reading it. I haven't gotten very far. I will admit, just because I'm wearing so many hats here. Um, I'm scattered to the four winds you are a busy man on this channel yes i know but i am intrigued by the priests with the laser rifles <laughs> i mean just fresh out of the gate uh you have this very very beginning where the the senior priest at the parish is you know he he opens up the closet and oh here we go again and grabs the laser rifle like oh this is not going to be what I thought it was. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So basically, the premise of the book is um, it's a cyberpunk uh, setting, sort of in the vein of RoboCop, uh, twenty minutes in the future. Um, and just like in RoboCop, the world is where this takes place is is not great. It, it's just, it's very much your average cyberpunk setting. It, it's urban. It's dark there's a lot of societal rot there's a lot of rot in a lot of different ways um <clears throat> but you know um this perspective of like people who, who are in this kind of a setting trying to do good in the world still 
um, was something that had intrigued me and something that I didn't see really being explored very much. So um, basically what happens is, is uh, this, this, this elderly uh, Catholic priest gets kind of woken up in the middle of the night by a sixth sense. Um, and he gets up. He's, he's, he's accustomed to break-in. So the first thing he does is he, he throws on a Kevlar-threaded blazer that looks like his, 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 his priest vestments. I want one of those, and by he, the way. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, grabs an old battered used laser rifle off a charger from his closet. And he kind of sends this like um, psychic message to the other priest in residence who th they have set on the other side of the sanctuary just so they can get a good flanking position. Right. That's the kind of neighborhood this is. And that's how often they're used to getting break-ins. The other priest in residence is kind of the polar opposite. You've got this 69-year-old little elderly priest with white hair and glasses. And uh, his other priest in residence is Father Okono Nwosu, who, who's six foot three. He's a former pit fighter before he reformed and entered the priesthood. Um, he, he, uh, he has his own um, laser blaster, and he says, okay, we're going to do our usual thing when we sense there's a break-in and we're going to meet on either side of the sanctuary so we can um we can flank whoever's trying to steal the collection this week you know right but what they they discovered though is uh two two nefarious looking figures kind of like street thugs standing in the sanctuary with one of their altar boys they recognize one of their altar boys has helped them break in and it's not they kind of eavesdrop and they find out it's not money that they're looking for. They're trying to get to the consecrated Eucharistic wafers that are locked away in the tabernacle behind the main altar. And, and all of this, this, all of this is part of a bigger plot from, from the wit, the queen, witch. is that how we're describing her? Did I get that right? The blind witch, blind witch, blind witch, or as she's known as she's known in, in the predominantly, uh, Hispanic neighborhood love, uh, La Bruja Ciega. And she has, um, they discover that the reason this altar boy, who they're actually rather friendly with, they're really disappointed in him, actually. Why he's letting these guys in is because they find out that the blind witch has put a bounty on all things religious. Missiles, rosaries, anything that, that's nailed down. If you can bring it to her, she'll give you like at least a little bit of money. And the, the thing she's paying out for the most, the big bucks, are these consecrated Eucharistic wafers. So, you know, the altar boy, being a dumb 13-year-old kid, thinks he's going to make an easy payday. And um, uh, that doesn't turn out exactly how it should because the priests wind up getting in a tussle with these guys. Right. And they discover through, through the fight that they are shrugging off injuries. They're... they're they're tossing the priests around like rag dolls. They're shrugging off laser blasters that should have somebody just rolling around on the floor in pain. And they, they um, have got these almost feral qualities to them. There's yellowish skin, upturned noses. So they, they, they barely managed to beat them off. And um, that's when they kind of discovered that there's a lot larger plot at play and that they're in a lot more trouble than they initially thought. Now, this is something that's been brewing for you for a while. Uh, and, and for those who don't know, the Eucharistic waivers, this is, this is the stuff that's passed out at communion, just, just to give everybody a, a little bit of an understanding here. Um, yes. So, so this, has been, this has been something that you've been working on for a while. I know we've talked about it before uh, when you were getting ready to release it, and then, then for whatever reason you had to pull it and rework yep. it a little bit. Yep. Where did the idea first start? Because you, you, I, I caught your interview on Critical Blast the other night. This has been okay. this has been brewing in the back of your head. Your your background mm -hmm. is in graphic design, and not yes. you know, you're not religious studies. You're not a priest, nope. and and this is your first book. So how did this get started? Um. Well, the the seat for it actually uh, came while I was working some rote job a long time ago, I've heard a lot of writers say that like, you know, jobs like that are great for thinking of, of, of plot seeds. Why well, I, I had this in the back of my mind for a long time. I've just never had time to develop it. Um, 
after I got a job at my local newspaper and worked there for a while, was given an editor position where I had to write as part of my job, not creatively, but it's what kind of first gave me my, uh, my first um, experience with regularly turning out word counts and copy and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and also gave me a lot of experience with page layout and stuff about the printing process and stuff that's useful for laying out a book and, and things like that. Um, it was only after I, I, I quit that job to take care of my, my young son at the time. And um, when I'd had a little bit of writing experience, just not in that sort of vein. And um, around 2019, I was kind of going, going through a rough patch and was um, struggling with depression to some degree. And um, was feeling rather alone about it in that I didn't really feel like I could talk about it much. And I wasn't interested in medication or anything like that. Right. But, but had to function because I had my son. Right. Um, and there was just one day I, I was just staring down at the asphalt and I just said, God, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And I just got this overwhelming impression right in that moment that said, now you're going to write this book. Um, and so I did. I, I Later that evening, I opened the laptop and I, I wrote out that brief scene that I'd been kind of thinking of, which was the opening scene um, of, of, uh, of the Keenan waking up in the middle of the night and realizing there's trouble, but not what. And then just kind of asking myself, what's next, what's next, until a year and a half later, I finally wound up getting the first draft done. Now, in the, in the process of your what's next, what's next, are you outlining, or it was, is this seat of your pants? There's, there's this, fr pantsing is a thing, mm -hmm. and some authors do that. They're just, you know, stream of consciousness, I'm going to just write it, or, or was there a plan? Uh, no, this was about as, as raw and um, just a by the seat of my pants thing as there could. I, you know, the funny thing is, when I started it, I didn't know what pantsing was. Eventually, I learned, and I was like, oh, that's what I did, you know. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, people outline? You know, that's smart, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I, I knew nothing <laughs> and uh, had to go through quite a few rounds of, of some very harsh criticisms. <laughs> Now, did you have an idea of where it was going to end when you started, or you just you, it ends wherever it ends, and that's where I end up? That that's exactly where it was. Yeah. The the um the the whole thing w was kind of an adventure in that there was a lot of times where I, I I I barely had a horizon in terms of what I wanted to happen next, in terms of like maybe ten feet in front of me, and so many times I would you know, just not know where this was going to take a corner. And a few times I wound up writing myself into a corner <laughs> and having to go back and un undo the Gordian plot knot that I had done. Um, but I was actually uh, coming up with like things like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I did XYZ right through the third draft? Um, which is when I finally just put it down and handed it over to some beta readers and yeah. said, here, take this before I do more. I have, uh, I have on occasion, uh, when we talked about um, uh, existing intellectual properties, people, you know, stories that, you know, that live in the Star Wars universe or Star Trek or whatnot, one mm -hmm. of my complaints has been that some of the more recent stuff feels like the writer's didn't really have a sense of what that intellectual property was. And they sat there and said, wouldn't it be cool if, and then they tried to hang a plot around all of those little moments that they want. Right. But when you have something original like this and you have, you have these characters that are first getting introduced, I think you have a lot, a lot more leeway with that kind of thing, but mm -hmm. you're right. At some point you have to sit there and say, okay, um, enough, I can't put any more wouldn't it be cool moments into this book because oh, you know yeah, I got I, I got to save yeah. the rest of it for the next book and and stuff. So how did how did the beta readers react? What was their what was their response to it? Um you know it's funny you mention that because one of the most consistent criticisms I've gotten through beta reading, through all the reviews I've gotten now and I know it's just something I got to work on 
is is that the book is actually a bit action dense. Like I I, I might have overstuffed this just a tad, <laughs> especially near the climax where I was just like put everything in. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, but but um, ge- generally like with that aside, uh, and they said you know you hop around a little bit in terms of POVs. There are a lot of characters in this book. Um, generally they said you know I I really like the book it evoked emotions I, I couldn't really put it down i found it um entertaining uh people that hated science fiction and hated horror they they enjoyed the book um they appreciated it was tempered with with quite a bit of comedy as well uh so th- you know that's when i kind of felt like you know may- maybe i really do have something here well in comedy and horror we've talked about this on on a number of uh, different uh, occasions comedy and horror have essentially the same beats and you know the structure of it is is pretty much the thing you have the setup you have the 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 climax the the moment you know whether mm-hmm. it's a whether it's the punchline or it's the jump scare mm-hmm. and then you yeah. have the you have the 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 resolution afterwards the the relaxation mm-hmm. and then you get the next one right but you also describe this not just not just in terms of horror and and science fiction, but but cyberpunk, and yes. there are elements of that. So how much how much of the cyberpunk part of this? Because there are going to be people who are out there, you know, think cyberpunk. They think necromancer. They think Johnny Mnemonic. They think Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Right. Is this? Along those lines, in terms of what kind of elements are there, or or how 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 deep do you dip into that well? Um, uh, not too deep. Um, I think uh, the guy who who reviewed this for Kosovo once described it as as blinking, you'll miss it. Um, they have uh, blaster rifles. Um, there is a lot of urban decay. Uh, there are people with cybernetic implants, you know, um, there, there's definitely future tech. One of the things that I invented for this, people just absolutely loved that I threw in there as kind of a throwaway was, uh, self-frying bacon. There's like, um, there's, there's bacon, uh, B-A-Q-O-N, right? That's what it's called. And it's, it's, you just throw it on a plate and it fries itself. It's air activated self-frying bacon. So you've got like synthetic foods and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think really a very good parallel is kind of is, is kind of like RoboCop, where where it's it, it's a very um, recognizable world. Right. There's not like neon everywhere. It's not constantly raining. You know. So it's it's um it's it, it's a very uh, in terms of aesthetic, the veneers admittedly pretty thin. But thematically and in terms of feel, I don't think I could merely call this science fiction. I think this has definitely got a cyberpunk feel to it. No. What kind of world building did you feel like you had to do part of it that you wanted to do? I mean, some some authors, when they when they design their setting and they come up with their environment, they they go just so far. This is all I need for this particular story. And then mm-hmm. some authors will write pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of notes about everything. The businesses that are mm-hmm. in the story, the people in the story, the cities, right. the, the technology, all this stuff. So how much how right. much of that did you do prior to sitting down and saying, OK, this is what this is the story that I'm going to tell? Well, the 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 um, the kernel of the world that pretty much everything else is is, is built around. Is, is the concept of this new form of the right of exorcism that exists in this world. What what I term the right of severe exorcism. What everyone knows from the movies is what's called the right of major exorcism. That's what you see in The Exorcist. Right. Um, this is kind of like I thought, like, wouldn't it be cool if the, the priest could, like, pretty much just, like, punch a demon out of somebody, right? <laughs> and, well, why can they do that? Because there's so many demons around that... That they have to have this this quick, very powerful, fast, almost martial arts ish way of kind of like like like, boom, just just knocking the demon right out of them. So, and they've got different sort of you know I hate to say the word spells or anything like that, but they have different um, uh, 
mystical theurgic powers that they can call upon for both defense and offense. Um, but, but okay, so, so why, why are they able to do this? Well, it's a special grace extended to them by God because there is such widespread societal and, and moral rot. So the next logical thing from there, at least in terms of if you're going to view the plot through a Catholic lens, I, my whole experience with that, by the way, is just that I'm a practicing Catholic. That's it. Right. Um, is that well, what causes people to, to get bodily possessed? Or, or at least to become under demonic influence. And as I'm sure you've heard many times from a friend of the show and a friend of mine, Declan Finn, um, it, it's when people uh, forsake making God the center of their, their attention and love and worship and, and turn their time and attention towards things that make them spiritually vulnerable, like um, drugs, uh, gambling, the occult. Th- this could be something as seemingly and when I, when I say the occult it could be something as seemingly benign as like a tarot reading or right spiritist because that's kind of the gateway that right astrology um, because you're you're looking for answers in a place you're not supposed to be looking for answers to and so that's kind of that sort of seemed very believable to me um, you have this dense urban area um, and if it's cyberpunk, just because I love cyberpunk, you've got the urban decay and the societal decay aspect of it. So you have a lot of people who are just, um, they're, they're, they're invested. They, they've turned their backs on God for lottery, uh, lottery numbers, basically. Yeah. And so you have this wide, these widespread cases of, of uh, demonic possession. So the priests ha- have this new right. <clears throat> you know, one, one could almost argue that you're describing the modern era. You're, you're describing society as it exists now because there are a lot of people, uh, and, and I've seen this discussed uh, in a number of places, there are a lot of people that have turned their back on God. The, the country has turned its back on God. I've, I've yeah. seen that, you know, that lamentation. And sure. it, does, uh, it does make you vulnerable. There is, there is something to, you know, as, as a person of faith myself, I understand you know, mm. the, the importance of having a relationship with God. But part of that is because the way we're made, we are created to believe in something. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of for a Absolutely. lot of people, we find we find that belief in God, and that's the fulfillment. And we and we do our best to maintain that relationship. But people who are lost, people who have have decided, well, there is no God. I don't believe in God. You know, whether it's atheism or it's it's you know Satanism or whatever the occult or whatnot, mm-hmm. they've turned their backs on God, but they still have to believe in something. They mm-hmm. believe in witchcraft. They believe in money. They believe in the government. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever fills that need. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're in such a dire straits as we are now. You know, as a society, because too many people have put their belief in the wrong things. Mm-hmm. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's not that far thing- of a leap to say that some of these people are probably demon possessed. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Every time I hear somebody tell me that their pronouns are they and them, I think of Legion. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't help but think of Legion. Um, uh, that's know. that's a good that's a good one. I I, I had not thought about that, but yeah, yeah, it's. It, I I hope I. It's an easy leap not, to make. I I hope I don't become as good at predicting the future with this book as Declan has been with his Saint Tommy book. <laughs> right. So he, He's he's emailed me. He's he's become a good friend of mine actually over the years. He actually looked at some of the early uh, stuff I had, and he savaged it mercilessly, but for the better. Iron yeah. sharpens iron, you know. Right. And um, he said, "Man, I get tired of predicting the future all the time." Well, you know, and the last time we had him on the program, I told him, I said, "You know what you need to do is you need to write something that is all completely positive, unicorns and rainbows, and and predict yeah, that yeah, future, right. and let's see if that comes to pass." He says, "You know, you're not the first one to tell me I need to do that." Even if it doesn't sell, just think of the good it might do. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and and that. 
that raises a that raises a topic that we can get into here. Let's go ahead and take a break. I want to get into the superversive movement because you're part of that, yes. and uh, we will discuss that. Michael Gallagher is our guest, and we will continue right after this. Sci-fi from your radio. It's better than goofy golf. Punch the demon face. Just punch it. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's got teeth. Punch it on the head. Like, they're always like, ah, ah, no, punch it. Like, there's a little girl whose life is in danger. Do something other than just yell. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Good Morning Multiverse, Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with all of you. I've, I've figured out that I'm going to go ahead and start setting up my camera to show various different little pieces of the studio here as we go, uh, just because you never get to see any of it. Uh, talking with Michael Gallagher here, he is the author of the brand new book, Body and Blood, and uh, Michael, I want to I talk a little bit about the superversive aspect of this book and other stuff uh, uh richard palinelli and declan finn and, and a number of other authors have have i don't want to say join the movement but they've they've taken it upon themselves to tell a certain kind of story we we've gotten to a point like we were talking about with the almost a nihilistic attitude in our society, you know, everything's falling apart. Everything's everything's a disaster. Everything's everything's going wrong. Yeah. And the stories that we've had that have a history—Star Trek, Doctor Who, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica—all all of these, you know, DC Comics, Marvel Comics, and stuff—have taken a turn toward the kinds of stories that don't really inspire us or give us any hope for some, for some people. I mean, it's not for everybody right. across the board, but there are some people that kind of look at that and go, really, that's the story that you want to tell with, with that. Yeah. yeah. But you have this, the, the superversive movement, which is basically, yes, there are good guys. Yes, there are bad guys. There's a clear delineation mm -hmm. between the two. Yep. There is a hero. Uh, the hero has a goal. Generally the, the, the story ends with a certain amount of hope. Not necessarily mm. a happy ending, but you know something something that give that you can walk away from and you kind of feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And it it strikes me that we should have more of that. Absolutely. What yeah. what got you what got you traveling along those lines in terms of you know that's the kind of story that you want to tell was that something that was in your head before you even heard the term superversive or was this something after the fact you go oh that's what i want to do um you know, it was definitely a kind of an after the fact i think i i am um, my journey kind of uh, worming my way into the indie scene here um kind of just went from uh i i uh started a Twitter account after I, I had watched a couple of videos on the um, sad puppy saga. And I learned about what happened to Larry Correa. And I saw like a couple of videos about what had happened with John Delarose getting kicked out of Cephal a while back. And I think he was the first one that mentioned it in the video where, where I heard it. Mm -hmm. And so after I got on a, um, started a Twitter account uh, a while back and started to follow a couple of these guys and I started to see who they were kind of interacting with. And that's where I started seeing it in more, more of a regular use and realized that, yeah, I'd, for my two cents, I think I actually would, um, would call this a movement. I think it's officially reached a, a, a strength and a size. And I think the terms in regular enough usage that, uh, you know, small and burgeoning though it may be, I think it's absolutely got momentum. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this was a little little while after the, the ending of Game of Thrones just left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. 
and and that was getting endl- endlessly dissected all over the place uh how that 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 god awful trash fire ended <laughs> um and i i you know it was a bunch of other things it was it, it was watching the world go around me to hell in a handbasket it, it was realizing I have a young child I'm going to have to to help raise, and what kind of uh, of things is he going to be exposed to, and and uh, you know, um, what what stories are going to be out there for him to 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 hear and be told, um, and, and that that if I was going to do this book, I I wanted to do some little part to not have one more piece of garbage in the literary dump wind up uh, there. So yeah, when I found out that there w- was 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 Rich Pinelli and Declan Finn and um, Rob Cross and Fiona Wolf and just just all these people, uh, I said, you know, I found my, my home here, and um, uh, just kind of out of uh, out of the blue, when Rob Cross uh, announced a few years ago that he was starting the first based con, I um, sent him a message. I said, hey, I'm a graphic designer. Would you like me to do you a logo? I really like what you're doing. Let me make you a logo. I don't, I don't need any money or anything. And then uh, he he said, "Sure, I need all the help I can get." And then I found out that he was running a book review site. So I said, "Hey, man, you know, if I ever publish this book, would you consider it? And that can be kind of your payment for my my uh, my logo design services." And he said, "Sure." And um, through uh, through upstream reviews, I also met Declan Finn and. we've kind of been pretty good friends over, over the, the probably the two years, I guess I've known him and uh, or year and a half. And um, yeah, that just kind of uh, grew from that. And it turned out that finally, <laughs> yeah, I, I was very close to publishing it last year and I had to yank it because just some things came up and I wasn't going to be able to give it the attention it needed for the promotional leg of it. Sure. Um, Thank you, by the way, for offering my first ever podcast appearance way back when. Sure. Taking a, I, I, I practically tr- begged you to reconsider. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember um, I remember that email correspondence. Like, Are you sure you want me as a guest? Or, well, yeah, yeah sure, I was, why I, not? I was like, look, I don't want to sound like I'm looking to give horse in the mouth here because yeah. I just didn't know that it kind of worked like that, that you guys were very welcoming of indie authors and stuff like that. I, I cannot tell you what a babe in the woods I was a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> With all this so yeah you know i found the superversive i said yes this is this is me this is it i want to do everything i can to help forward it all right we've got a question in the chat from dave did michael's sense of morality change as he wrote the story um that's you know that's an interesting an interesting thing because a lot of a lot of times when you are looking at christian fiction for example uh, there's, you know, any anything that's faith based, there's a, there's this automatic assumption of what kind of story it's going to be. Right. And just from reading the first couple of chapters of this of this book, that's not that kind of that's not that kind of story here because you have you it's 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 mm-hmm. a it's a book like any other book. Right. How much do you feel like you? compromised a little bit in telling this story versus I'm going to do something that's, you know, rated G, rated PG that, you know, the the church ladies will be okay reading. Right. So, from the the gate, I set out not to write a Christian book. The, The, this was going to be a science fiction book that had characters in it who were Roman Catholic priests. Um, various aspects of, of the faith are necessarily explained at points. Like, like what? why are they risking their lives trying to defend the church from having a couple of Wheaton wafers stolen? You know, I had to go into the theology behind the... the um, uh, the Eucharist and why it's important and... Yeah. and uh, why we we have that sort of certain perspective that's not present in other uh, denominations where they they have communion, but it it's, means something different. Um, and, and you know, uh, uh, but 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 what happens throughout the book is 
you have these two priests who are who are good through and through. They're faithful, and they're in the middle. They're they're serving. They're 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 sent to serve in the middle of what's essentially an absolute cesspool of the city. And um, they're they're a candle in the middle of all this darkness. Right. Um, and and you know as as such they, as as a matter of their um, ministry, they rub elbows with people who are are not of high virtue you know um members of the local russian outfit biker gangs you know uh, they're they're friendly with these guys even though they don't endorse you know some of the things they do and yeah. and you know um there there's never a moment where anybody has a crisis of faith or anyone uh criticizes the teachings or anything like that 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 was that was an aspect of part of what's everything that's wrong with a lot of mainstream representations of people of faith is like if you see a priest on a, on a network show or on a major streaming show he's either he's either going to be a pedophile he's going to be completely ineffectual he's never going to be shown actually doing his job uh you know he, he's he's, he's going to come across like he's never cracked the spine on a bible or a catechism in his life you know yeah. and that was just exactly the opposite of what i i didn't want want to put into the world you know the, the heroic priest archetype is actually making a pretty big comeback there's comics like the soul finder comic that, right, that do this. yep really well um this is kind of uh starting to be i think a burgeoning thing in its own right and i think it's because a lot of people are hungry for it so yeah. so long answer to the question is that um my beliefs and my sense of morality didn't change at all they they were uh throughout throughout the whole thing the, the point was to show it to people and maybe explain it a little bit so that you know someone who's who who doesn't know anything about catholicism can just know why this is important to the story now did some of that involve going back and researching in your own faith you know why why this is important you you talk about explaining why the eucharist is important mm -hmm. how much of this was this is stuff that you already know being a practicing catholic how much of it was like well, i should probably refresh my memory on this and let's go back and make sure and and reference so have you had a little bit of a refresher course in catholicism along the way on this um, certainly an exorcism. Yeah, that was probably the, uh, which, which makes sense. Um, you mean you um, don't go to exorcisms every weekend? I mean, it's just like the thing to do, right? I, I don't go to the Friday night <laughs> exorcisms, no. Uh, you know, um, but, but like, you know, I, I had, had well understood the importance of, of, of the theology behind the Eucharist for a long time. That, that was an easy part to write. Um, getting the, uh, there's a scene where like, uh, Father Kona was conducting a, a mass. I had to go back and get and get the the wording and the um, the 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 order of the mass just right. I wanted to make sure that that was correct. Now, is this is what this is, a, is this a traditional Latin mass or is this a Vatican II mass? This is Novus <laughs> Ordo. I have never been to a TLM. God, I wish I could one day. Um, everybody who ever goes to one of those tells me it is beautiful. I feel like that's how we should just do it, but. Um, Sorry, it's my guys are Nova Sordo. Sorry, you know I'm gonna lo <laughs> lose points with some people for that. Um, but like also uh, another aspect of it was there. There's kind of a little uh, thread in about the middle of it that that talks about the various religious orders, um, the the colors of uh, scapulars they wear that 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 indicate which one. Like the Carmelites wear brown scapulars, which is just a cloth necklace with a little patch of, of cloth at the end that has a small prayer inscribed on it. They're said to to protect against various kinds of, of uh, demonic influence and, and, and uh, activity. Um, researching what, like first orders, priestly orders, second orders, um, sisterly orders, and or, or, orders of nuns, and third orders, which are orders that lay people can join, and uh, that that and the colors of scapulars that they're allowed to wear, or if they're allowed to wear scapulars, because some lay orders can't wear the scapulars. That was just really fascinating, and um, sort of allowed me to write in my own little uh, uh, my own little uh, rogue order 
that exists in the in the uh, world, which wears a, a a golden scapular, which of course doesn't really exist. Right. Um, that was probably where where I did the mo- most uh, research, but um, uh, yeah, a lot of it. You know, Declan's going to kill me if he ever hears this because, like, I remember <laughs> uh, on a podcast he did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was saying, yeah, you know, I had to do some research for exorcism for a St. Tommy book I was writing recently. So I read a few books on the topic and I would just kind of pop on the USCCB website and, you know, scan a couple of paragraphs and just make sure that what I was saying wasn't wasn't inaccurate. And then, and then I just go back and basically just did enough research to keep the plot moving. Right. Whereas you dive in and. Well, okay. Now, now let me this because you mentioned the order of nuns, uh, and I haven't gotten very far into the book. I'll admit, so I don't know if this is going to show up here. But at some point, are we looking at uh, the graphic novel spinoff of the nuns with the laser rifles? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, who does that? Is that uh, uh, Will? Uh, who? Who? Uh, somebody does that. That's somebody else's comic, isn't it? I don't know. I, 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 I haven't I haven't run across it myself if the, if it's out I, there. I so sw- swear I feel like I've heard that uh, before. <laughs> I, I. But but no, I don't have any. Um, I don't know. I've, comics is something I'm just not ready to dabble in. Yeah. it's really not. That is not my wheelhouse. <laughs> now, is this is this going to be an expanded universe? Are you looking at this as being something that's going to be? You know, more than one book, there's a series of books, some spinoffs, or, you know, other characters get their lines. Uh, kind of like what David Weber does with the Honor Harrington universe. You've got the main line, you've got this line over here, you get this line over here, you get that one over there. Where do you I, see uh, this going? I noticed on the intro that you might have been a little bit of a David Weber fan there. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am. The plan is, uh, right now I've got ideas for three books that are not direct sequels. I had always intended for Body and Blood to be a standalone. I am very much a fan, especially in this day and age, of everything being a series, of just letting the story be told and end. Yeah. But right now, um, the next novel I'm working on is is a novel that's set in the same universe that uh, one of the main characters is is one of the major characters from this book. He's the main character now. And it's kind of like his adventures in in the same world, but n- not a direct like like link to the past books event. So you could pick up either, and you can enjoy them. And then I've got an idea for a third one after that. Again, same world, but but not planned to be a direct sequel. However, a lot of people who have read the book have said, "I can't wait to see what happens next." You know, in this. Now, they seem almost expecting a sequel, and I haven't got it planned, but I, I, I guess if it takes off, who knows? You, you say that, and I can, I, can, I can read minds here. What I'm actually hearing is you're setting up three different threads that are all going to come together because the, the fourth book will be the sequel to each of the three. Oh, wow. Is there a name for that? I hadn't really <laughs> thought about that. That that would be a heck of a that would be a heck of a project if I could. <laughs> Cause yeah, because because basically the three you, books you, are pretty. You set up each one, and they yeah. all yeah, they all end up driving toward one one place, and and your fourth book is everybody. That's the it's the team up book. If I manage to pull that off, I will win the Panting World Championships. <laughs> I can tell you right now. That one, I think you're going to need some note cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A trivergence is what David says, uh, but but you know it's it is interesting though to see because you know you look at something like Back to the Future for example, which was only supposed to be a one-off movie and it was a big hit and let's let's see where we're going to go, and you know Bob Zemeckis and Bob the original Gale, Star Wars by the way. Well, and they had said well, and Lucas had made Star Wars assuming that it was going to be the only one he's going to be able to make because he thought it was exactly. going to fail. Right. Yeah, and uh, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale have said in in a number of different interviews, if they had known that there was going to be a sequel, if they had ever had any kind of a plan for a sequel, they never would have put Jennifer in the car. And so now oh, you have yeah. to deal with Jennifer being in the car. Now you've got you know twenty thirty minutes. You got to deal with that. Yeah. So when when 
people talk about, well, this is just a one-off book. And you're right. We're in this day and age where everything's a franchise. Everything's this big shared universe. There's all these series of books and whatnot. You can't just tell one story. Especially mm-hmm. if it becomes popular, people want to have more. Right. So <clears throat> when you say, you know, people are asking what, what happens next on this one. Was there a time in all of this when the ending is coming? You see, you see where it is that you're actually going to end up going on this book, mm-hmm. and then you have that that moment. You have that crossroads moment. Okay, do I do I end this book so it's a self-contained story, or do I go back through the book and start? laying some breadcrumbs for the sequel absolutely um and and it was uh centered around a pretty major character too uh it it happened just like you said it was as i was approaching the end of the book i thought i knew exactly how i wanted to end this thing and then all of a sudden when the end of it started becoming real i started saying well you know do do I want to write this guy this way or do I want to kind of leave this little door open over here or you know Um, but in the end, I decided to trust my original instincts and I think that was the right thing to do. Um, because I think in the end, the story has more impact. Um, so, so, I mean, there's still enough there that if anybody, if I gain any amount of prominence in the literary world whatsoever, such that anyone is, is clamoring for a sequel, there's enough in that first book, I think, to make an interesting sequel to it. Well, and given that you've you've put a lot of action sets in there, like you said, you've probably overloaded it. Um, do you do you have any concern that the plot suffered at all for any of that, or is it just there's here's all of the plot, but we're adding action, 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 action on top of it? Um, I've I've heard a couple of people say that that like by by the very end, because the the end. The end conflict is very much of very much a flashpoint. It, it's a lot of things kind of converging on this one place, and there's this big blow up. A lot of a lot of threads get resolved. A lot of conflicts that have to happen happen, and uh, you know, it's big. And I want it big, but I think I'm seems like maybe I might have done it a smidge too much. <laughs> um, which you know, at the time when I'm writing, I'm like, you know, I, you can always pull back later. Yeah, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes um, you just gotta you just gotta put it all, all put it all on the table and and see what happens. That's so. it, man. <laughs> go go hard or go home. Yeah. Right? Um, I think I know how to kind of pace myself a little better now. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there was a lot going on there, but the great thing is, is that um, a lot of characters were introduced, so there's a lot of different ways I can take a sequel. And, uh, you know, if it turns out that people want that, I think I have plenty of options for plot threads. Now, being a new writer, <clears throat> how much how much craft learning have you had to do? Workshops, online courses, I want to I learn how to do it. Because anybody mm-hmm. can have an idea for a story. Right. But the craft of actually writing a story, sitting down, you know, you talk about just sitting down in front of your laptop and start and start banging this thing out and see where it goes. How much now that you've gotten done with it, how much do you feel like you need to go back in and maybe start doing some workshops and some online classes? Or have you done all of that already and, and maybe you want to do more? I, I hadn't. I was at total ground zero in terms of creative writing. Uh, had had you know the the first exposure I had to being in a group with other people who wrote was a reddit group which which is about as ground level as you get yeah um, I had experience writing in like editorial styles, so I had you know a, a solid grasp of spelling and grammar, which are extremely basic but extremely important, and it appalls me at how many people don't don't uh do enough attention to that. But um, I, I didn't take any courses. I didn't do many uh, videos and, and dives and any of that stuff. I found that the biggest 
fastest way to grow and get better and the most painful <laughs> this is really going to tell you if you really want to do this has been post like I, I would post a chapter to reddit and and let these guys go and critique it yeah and um the the tough thing about criticism that the one lesson you have to learn about literary criticism if you want to get better as a writer is that the stuff that hurts is the stuff that you really have to listen to because something's telling you inside that guy's right about something. The stuff where like, it just seemed like somebody just didn't like the story. Like it just wasn't their thing. Right. I could kind of just kind of shrug it off and say, okay, you know, I, or like if somebody brought something up, but it was, you could tell it's more of a matter of preference versus there's something foundationally wrong with what you're writing here. Um, or just stylistically, this is garbage. Because <laughs> I learned very, very early on, my prose was indigo. I was way too verbose. And it was like, you know, you, you need to trim this down by like, you know, 50% with your sentences. You know? yeah. I, but, you know, I, I was a newspaper editor. I wanted to use all my $10 words. Not <laughs> right. help you down, you know. No. But, um, but, but that was it. It was like within three, four months of getting consistently critiqued and just that that's tough. That's tough because it's hard to take negative criticisms. Yeah. It's you feel like is really true. But that that is the that is the purifying flame right there. And I think that will do anybody who's into writing. It'll help them grow more and it'll help their writing get better faster than anything else. Now, there is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, there is a there is a difference between honest, constructive critique and I don't like this book because I don't like you. So how much how much of a mix do you think maybe you got? Um, surprisingly, like... Because uh, you talk about the sad puppies. It was your entry point into all of this as mm -hmm. far as that goes. And right. we saw how they got treated. And, right. you know, a lot of that was personality-driven and ideologically-driven, not craft-driven. Not, you know, this is a terrible story. It's more, mm -hmm. you're a terrible person because you don't agree with me. So and when you're dropping this stuff, uh, yeah, yeah, guilt by association. Yeah. So when you're dropping um, the stuff on Reddit, did you run into some of that? A lot of that, not too much, or was surprisingly? You know, when I posted this stuff, I I stayed totally apolitical about my beliefs about anything. I just said, "Here's the story. Here's the title. Here's the word count. I'm looking for any criticism." Um, and I didn't I didn't get a lot of. Um, identity-based negative uh, negativity not even about the religious stuff which told me that I, I was managing to write this without coming across like a religious tract right because that's the other that's the other thing um, surprisingly you know the 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 groups on reddit to start out they were really great um, didn't get a whole lot of that surprisingly because you know you keep hearing that reddit's just like you know a a whirlpool of leftism and, and uh, but but the writing groups were pretty solid and then, uh, you know, when I was ready to get, get really critiqued, you know, I, I emailed my stuff over, over to Declan. <laughs> <laughs> and he knocked me down a couple of pegs, but, it, but he made my writing a lot, a lot better. Yeah. Now, this book <laughs> is available in Kindle. Is it, is it available uh, uh, print-on-demand or hardcover, softcover, or is it just Kindle? Uh, yes, sir. It's available <laughs> on uh, Kindle and in paperback on August 1st is when it hits. Okay, August 1st. It is... Body and Blood, there's already a listing there on Amazon. And uh, the Seven Sorrows Books imprint, that's yours, I, I understand. Is that right? Yes. So where does... And the... if you want to read a first chapter sample, you, you can go to Samples and Shorts. And uh, there, there's the first chapter of the book is there if you want to check it out. And there's also the first chapter of my upcoming book. And the um, name Seven Sorrows Publishing, where does that come from for you? That comes, uh, that is uh, based on a, um, a series of meditations from the, the Seven Sorrows of the Blessed Virgin, which is why Mary's in the header image, uh, where one prays and contemplates on seven of the most tragic moments of her life in the Bible, such as uh, losing young Jesus in the temple, the crucifixion, obviously, uh, you know, the, the scourging at the pillar. Um, at, 
at the time I was pondering creating an imprint, it, I just happened to come across it and it really resonated with me. And of course, you know, I, I, I'm not publishing explicitly a, a, as a Christian author, but of course I want everything I do to come through with, with you know, um, with, with those virtues to come through and sure. that kind of good. I want to bring that into the world. So there it is. I'm putting it on my sleeve. All right. And the Twitter account, uh, Missing Byline, uh, which uh, we've also got that link in uh, in our notes. And what the Golden Scapular is your next book. Is this the one that you were te- telling us about that's got the, the character from this book? Or is this something new? Um, that That's the next book that's set in this universe. In, in in the universe, it's got one of the major characters from Body and Blood is kind of the major the main character in the Golden Scapular. Uh, it's a totally different adventure though, and um, it's it, it's coming along slower. But I think I'm going to be a lot more happier with the first draft than I was with the first book. Now, are you being more methodical with this one in terms of planning it out and and maybe doing a little outlining, or is it still? Let's just see where it goes. I'm still pantsing this one, but when I do my rereads, I'm a lot more judicious about my word choices and yeah. how a sentence flows, you know. I see a couple of short stories that are here. Where where are those going to be found? Uh, well, actually, um, uh, my next short story that's going to be coming out is in October. I don't think it's on there, um, but it's called Last Chance Lane. It's, it's being published in an anthology. Um that actually ha- uh, has Declan Finn has a lot uh, has a lot of huge names and superversive lit. There are a ton of great great authors in here. There's John C. Wright has got a story in there. L. J. Lamplighter, um, Daniel Humphreys, uh, Declan Finn's in it. In Arla Point, who wrote one of the uh, best YA novels I think I've read in 20 years, Chalk. He he's got an awesome story in there. Um, that's coming out just in time for Halloween. That's coming out. Uh, we're shooting for, for October 1st. That's an anthology called Shoot the Devil. And it's, it's, it's 10 stories of humans taking on uh, demonic forces and uh, winning. Right. And then you have, I, I believe you've got a, sh- uh, a short story coming in Kursova uh, magazine. Is that right? Uh, yes, act, actually, the first story I ever sold, but I sold it like eighteen months before its publication. <laughs> uh, last year, during their submission week, I, I submitted, and they they bought a story called "The Nighthawk," which I'm very proud of, uh, which is about a um, psychic who uh, uh, get gets um, contracted, uh, not, not exactly voluntarily, to do uh, sports betting for his, his local. Um, uh, not the uh, local triad outfit, and um, but but using the ability is slowly killing him, and so uh, it, it's a it's a great short story there. I'm very proud of the story. Uh, that's scheduled to come out in our winter issue at the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. All right, Michael Gallagher. Thanks very much for being here, sir. Good luck with everything, and uh, Thank you very I much will. Sir. I will have to uh, finish this book, get a review out as uh, as soon as I'm able. Uh, you know, the pile the pile is large and the and the time is limited. <laughs> but as soon as I can get around to it, uh, in the meantime, folks, you can go uh, check out sevensorrowsbooks.wordpress.com. You can find Michael on uh, Twitter under the Missing Byline account. Of course, Body and Blood will be available August first. There's already a listing over there on Amazon. You can find. And uh, we've got links to his socials and website in our notes. And uh, we will do this again. I I would love to. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All right. And thank you, everybody, for being here. Sci-Fi Snob, you're late, but you can can hit replay and you can start from the beginning. And it's like time travel. So uh, check that out. And be sure to uh, check out any of the rest of the videos that we've got here. Don't forget, coming up on Saturday, Good Morning Multiverse. Uh, starting at 11 a.m. Eastern. And then uh, in the afternoon, a new edition, the, the season finale of Foreign Bodies. It's not going to be live this time. We had to pre-record this one, but it will be out uh, at uh, at noon central on Saturday. So join us for that. And that's going to do it for us today. 
Good to have all of you here. Don't forget to check out Sci-Fi For Me TV.2. I don't know what we're going to do with it. We're going to do something with it. In the meantime, remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.